Okay, so go ahead and open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11, and that's where we're going to focus our our time tonight. So Philippians 2, uh, 1 through 11, and this is what God's Word says. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others." And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the truths that are contained in this passage. I pray that you would write those truths on our hearts and that you would transform us through the scriptures that you have given us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I would imagine some of you are, you like to build things and some of you don't. I happen to be in the second category. We don't really like to build things all that much. Like growing up, I liked to wait until my brothers built all the Legos and then, uh, and then play with it afterwards and maybe sometimes break it. Not intentionally. I, know, I can see Joel is seething with rage at this moment. It's like you can't, oh God, you can't, skip, the, you can't skip the building process. I'm sorry, Joel, I'm a sinner. <laughs> um, and... Uh, so there are some of you who really enjoy, who really enjoy that, that, that portion, right, that, that building process. And for those of you who, uh, who enjoy that process, uh, I want you to imagine, well, I want all of you to imagine this, but I want you to imagine for a moment that you, um, you've gone to a furniture store, okay? And uh, your mom and dad have said that you can get a brand new desk that's going to be helpful for you as you're doing homework. You can arrange your books and everything. It'll just be something that will really complete that space in your room. So imagine they've said you can get this new desk. And so you go to Ikea uh, and you, you look around and you, you see this desk, right? And uh, you see the picture and you think, oh, this is perfect. This is exactly what my room needs. You pick it up. You take it home. And uh, you get it home, and you're looking at the, the front of the box. You're so excited about how it's just going to really just pull the room together, right? And uh, you, you start digging through all of the different pieces, and you come to find that you are missing something. 
you come to find, and this has happened to Lindsay and I when we've come home from Ikea, but you come to find that you are missing the nuts, the bolts, and the screws. So you have all of the pieces. So you have all of the pieces, but nothing to hold them together. And in this passage, what Paul is doing is he is telling the Philippians what holds the body of Christ together, what creates unity in the body of Christ. And that's the main theme of this passage. And if I could say it in a sentence, is this. Since God desires unity among his people, then you must seek the humility found in Christ. Since God desires unity among his people, then you individually must seek the humility found in Christ. You see, just like the nuts and bolts and screws, uh, humility is uh, the character trait that God uh, holds forth to us in this passage that creates unity in the body of Christ. To let you guys in on a little, you know, uh, sometimes when you're reading New Testament letters, it's like you're hearing one side of the phone conversation. And so you have to ask the question when he gives a, a command, uh, well, why is he giving that command? Well, the reason he's giving the command is because there was not unity happening here. In fact, if you flip over to chapter 4, verse 2, he gives a very specific command to two women, Yodia and Syntyche, and he says, I, I appeal to you, be of one mind. In other words, be reconciled. So there is some division. There's, there's a lack of unity that's happening. There's other things that are going on that is, is prompting Paul to move into this, this uh, discussion of humility. Um, if you look at verse 3, it says that there's selfish ambition. There's conceit, which basically just means to think more highly of yourself than you really are. Uh, there, so there's conceit there. Um, they are counting themselves as individuals more significant than their brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, if you look at verse three, it's a, it's it's a, or excuse me, verse four. It says uh, that there are people there who are uh, looking out for only their own interests instead of also looking out for the interests of others. And so this is the context. This is why. Paul is saying these things in chapter 2. And so the, the main point of what he says is he says, if you guys want to come together, if you guys want to have uh, harmonious relationships in your life and in the church here at Philippi, be humble. Seek humility. Okay? And so this passage, it, it, it really talks a lot about this idea of humility being the kind of the foundation of unity. Uh, and really, I mean, you see that played out in virtually every relationship in your life. If you want to know what will kill a relationship, whether it's, you know, someone you're dating, someone you're married to, a friendship, you want to know what will kill a relationship faster than anything else? Pride. Pride and selfishness. And those two go hand in hand. I would actually argue that selfishness is the result of pride. But pride will ruin your relationships. And humility, uh, having a right understanding of who you are and uh, a genuine concern for other people will always be good for the relationships in your life and will always be good for the body of Christ. 
And so we should ask the question, if humility is the main theme of this passage, what does it teach us about humility? Well, it teaches us three things. It shows us the source of humility, okay, which we'll talk about in verses 1 and 2. It shows us uh, a hindrance to humility, which I've already told you, uh, but we'll talk about that in verses 3 and 4, which is pride. And then it shows us uh, the ultimate example of humility, the example of humility, namely Jesus in verses 5 through 11. Um, But let's talk first about the source of humility. Look at verse 1 there for a minute with me. It says, so... If, or you could also translate that word since, because um, Paul's, he's not under, uh, he's not uncertain that there is encouragement that comes from Christ. He's not uncertain, uncertain that there is comfort from his love. Uh, and so what, what you should in your, in your brain insert, so since there is encouragement in Christ, comfort from his love, and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and affectionate sympathy of Christ. Since all of those things, Paul says, make me really happy and be united. Be of one mind, as it says in verse 2. So there's the command, the call to unity. And then he gives uh, the foundation of it just prior to that, where he says, since you have four things, the encouragement of Christ the comfort of his love, the fellowship of the Spirit, and the affectionate sympathy of Christ. Since you have all of those things, be united. And so then the question is, if this is the case, and, and these things are ours, how does that, those truths, that these things are ours in Christ, how does that create humility? I'll tell you how it creates humility. Because when you recognize these gifts for what they are, the encouragement of Christ, our fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the comfort of his love, the affectionate sympathy of Jesus, when you recognize these things for what they are, it creates humility. Namely, gifts of undeserved grace. In other words, the way that these gifts of Christ create humility is when you recognize that you don't deserve them. When you recognize that the only thing that you deserve is to be eternally cut off from God and spend eternity in hell, and that newsflash is what every single one of us deserves. When you recognize that, these four things become such a source of of hope and healing and a source of humility because we recognize that even in our sinful state, God pours out his grace on us. God pours out his love on us. Charles Spurgeon once said that uh, Satan tells me that I am unworthy, but then he goes on to say, but I was always unworthy. And so me being unworthy of your love cannot be a barrier to having a relationship with you now. In other words, we are all unworthy and undeserving of these gifts that Jesus offers to us, and yet he freely offers them. And so that does two things. The the love of Christ displayed in the gospel does two things. It reveals that we are wicked and sinful. We are so wicked and sinful that the Son of God had to die to pay the penalty for our sins. 
And yet, at the same moment, it reveals that we are deeply, infinitely loved by that same God. And so, Christ and his benefits, his, his, his gifts to us become the foundation, the source, the motivation to live a humble life. If you think about, if you've ever watched, um, if you've ever watched like the old Superman movies, I'm sure, uh, sure Micah will enjoy this illustration. If you've ever watched the old Superman movies, where does Superman get his, his source of power from? The sun, right? And, in a, and when he's away from the sun, right, he kind of shrivels up and doesn't, doesn't get as, he is not as strong, right? And in the same way, when we uh, are not abiding in the love of Christ, thinking about the love of Christ and recognizing the, the tension between our unworthiness and yet our very, at the very same moment, our uh, incredible loved status as a child of God, if we, if, we, if we don't ponder that daily, we will become prideful. So Christ and his love for us becomes a source of humility. And so my question for, for you guys as you're thinking about this is, do you recognize both of those truths, the, the, the twin truths of the gospel that you are absolutely unworthy of God's love? We live in a culture that wants to tell you that you're worthy, wants to build you up. But that building up of your pride prevents you from really savoring and enjoying the amazing grace of God that he pours out on we who are undeserving. So do we recognize that we are not worthy of these gifts and at the very same time, recognize that even that unworthiness doesn't stop God from loving you, doesn't stop God from pouring out his encouragement, the comfort of his love, doesn't stop him from having fellowship with you through the Holy Spirit, doesn't stop him from having affectionate sympathy for Samantha, for Joel. When you believe all these two things together, it humbles you. And that humility is what creates unity. And so, if, if Jesus is ultimately the source of our humility and his love for us, then the next question is, what, is what, what hindrance is there to, to humility? And that is found in verses 3 and 4. Selfish ambition, conceit, counting yourself more significant than others and looking out for your own interests. In other words, at the root of all of those is pride. At the root of all of those is an orientation towards yourself. If you have selfish ambition, it means that uh, I think of like the corporate world nowadays where it's like you step on other people to climb the ladder, to get the promotion, whatever, you know, however you would think of it. Selfish ambition, but what's at the root of it? The self, right? Or conceit, which if you look up the, the Greek word there, it literally means empty glory. In other words, you're giving yourself glory, but it's, it's empty because you don't really deserve it. 
It's sometimes in the old King James, they call it vainglory. Um, and it's basically, it's just this overly developed sense of self and self-importance. And then just, just plain old-fashioned old selfishness, putting yourself before other people. But all of these at their root have a concern with me, myself, and I. So pride is a hindrance to humility. If you think about it this way, some of you uh, in the room play soccer. Uh, some of you are goalies, question mark. Zachary is a goalie. Carissa is a goalie, but she's not here. Um, and you have like one job to block, right? To prevent <laughs> the ball from going into the goal. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sure you're, you're, you know, you're talking to someone who has a very limited understanding of soccer. So I'm sure the goalie probably does more than that, but I don't know. Um, and so, um, but the, the, point, the point is this, uh, that pride is kind of like a goalie in the sense that it will block humility. And so we, as, as people who claim to follow Jesus, if that is indeed your desire and what you say about yourself, need to be diligent to work at rooting out pride. And the way that you root out pride, honestly, is by preaching the gospel to yourself. And part of that gospel is recognizing that there is absolutely nothing in you or in me that uh, should (laughs) cause us to have pride. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all broken God's law and are absolutely worthy of his eternal punishment. Uh, there was a quote that I saw recently from a guy. He said that our pride is like this. This is what our pride's like, okay? Listen to this. He says, our pride is like this, is that we always seem to ourselves to be the most just, upright, wise, and holy. We always seem uh, to ourselves to be the most just, upright, wise, and holy, until we are convinced by clear evidence of our own injustice, vileness, stupidity, and impurity. And what we need, what, what is the clear evidence that reveals our true condition? You can talk. What's the clear evidence that reveals the condition of our hearts? Yes. Yes, the Bible, the gospel, the law, it reveals the true condition of our hearts, the true uh, sinfulness that dwells within. And it also reveals the only remedy for that sinfulness, namely Christ, his substitutionary death, paying the penalty for our sin, and also his, his resurrection, Uh, proving to our hearts and to the world that anyone who comes to Jesus in faith will receive forgiveness because he has already earned that forgiveness on our behalf. He He has merited it. We have not. And so if we want to root out pride, give continual consideration to the gospel. Give continual consideration to what Jesus has done for you 
and why he had to go to the cross, namely your sin. Pride is a tricky one. Uh, Oftentimes it's hard to see. And so uh, I need people like my wife in my life to uh, tell me when I'm being prideful. And she's very faithful. She's faithful to tell me when. (laughs) You know what that sounds like? It sounds like you're being prideful right now. I'm like, I don't think so. And so my question, my question for you guys is, is if pride is a hindrance to, to uh, developing humility in your life, think about this. Where do you see pride in your own life? You don't have to say it out loud. I want you to think about this this week, though, and maybe even talk about it in your group. Where do you see pride at work in your life? Okay, think about that. We have to move on because we're over time. And finally, we see, um, we see, so not only uh, the source of humility, the hindrance to humility, but we also see uh, the ultimate example of humility, which is Jesus. Think about this, verse 5, where he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was, uh, in the ESV it says, in the form of God. Uh, I like the NIV translation better. It says, though he was in his very nature, God. Okay? So he is God. And rather than staying in heaven and continually being praised by the angels and the saints that, were, uh, that had gone to be with him, which is his rightful place as king and as God of the universe, rather than staying there, like the song that we just sang, it says, the king of all creation laid aside his crown, servant to the father's love. He descended from the throne Above, And that is what verses 5 through 8 describe, the humility of Jesus. It's, it would be one thing if, if Jesus were merely a human and he did the things that he did. He would be admirable. He also wouldn't have been able to atone for our sins. But hypothetically speaking, he would be an admirable teacher. But at the same time, the very fact that he is God, that he descended from his throne, took on human flesh, clothed himself like a servant, in verse 7, by, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. The very fact that he did that and that he is God sets an example for these Philippians and for us that if our God is, is, was willing to humble himself to that extent, to the point that he was willing to literally be obedient to the Father's will to the point that he would die, how much more so should we who claim to follow Jesus be humble? We who claim to uh, desire to follow after him, to, to imitate his example, how much more so should we exemplify humility? And then in verses 9 through 11, so if you want to split five through, uh, 5 through 11 into 2, you would have the humiliation of Jesus, 
And then if you, if you will, if you like another word that's similar, you have the exaltation of Jesus in 9 through 11. So the humiliation in 5 through 8 and the exaltation in 9 through 11. And that is what uh, is, is, is a model for us in a way. Because what the scriptures teach, I think I said this last week, scriptures teach um, that suffering comes before glory. Okay? Suffering comes before glory. Someone once said that in the Christian life, there's a cross and a crown. Did I say this last week? There's a cross and a crown. Oftentimes, we are so prideful that we would rather reach for the crown and give the cross to Jesus and say, you do all the dying. I want all of the glory. I want all of the grace. I want all of the good things. But here's what Jesus says. He says, if you want to be my disciples, uh, count the cost, friend. Take up your cross and follow me. In other words, go the way of servant. Go the way of suffering. And at the end of your life, when you come into the presence of Jesus, you will share in his glory. I'm just going to read a passage to you from the book of Revelation. If I can find it here. Revelation 3:21 says this To the one who conquers that is the one who remains faithful to Jesus all of his or her life to the one who conquers the one who remains faithful to Christ I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered or remained faithful and sat down with my father on his throne he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So there's a pattern here. In this life, you follow the way of Jesus, which includes difficulty, suffering, sometimes maybe even death for preaching the gospel. But after this meager 80 years of life is over, you have an infinite amount of years of joy in the presence of Jesus. Suffering precedes glory, humiliation before exaltation. And this is what we love about Jesus, is that Jesus isn't like the person who says, uh, do this simply because I said so, or do as I do, and, and, uh, or do as I say, not as I do. But Jesus says, do as I have done. In other words, he is not above showing humility. He is the example of true and perfect humility. So my question for you as you look at Jesus as this example of humility, where in your own life are you unwilling to put other people first? Where in your own life are you unwilling to show humility and put other people first. Maybe it's at home and you uh, could 
do a particular chore to bless your mom and dad without them asking you. And instead, you think about yourself in that moment and you choose not to do it. Maybe it's there's somebody who's a little different than you, maybe in youth group or maybe different than you at school, and you could reach out to them. You could eat lunch with them, but instead you think about yourself and maybe what other people are thinking about you. Where in your own life are you unwilling to put other people first? And then I would challenge you, when you identify that, because I guarantee you every single one of us in this room has something. When you identify that, look at Jesus as the ultimate example of how to be humble and how to put other people first. And so, we'll wrap up with this. Just like putting together an Ikea desk without uh, nuts and bolts and screws is impossible, If God's people do not possess the humility of Christ, it will be impossible for us to come together. We must seek the humility that is found in Jesus for the sake of unity among the people of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And Father, we pray that you would bless us as we go into our small groups. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.